This is Getting Past the Subtitles. My name is Sean Peel. This is DK Lee. And welcome to a whole new series. We just finished with our Evangelion Rebuild series. And now we're taking a bit of a turn. And we decided we wanted to talk about gangsters and <laughs> thugs and uh, violence and stuff. Although that'd be interesting to talk about this movie a little later. Yeah. But... Yeah, so we decided to go with gangsters um, and do a mix of things. It's very, it's one of those genres or themes that are also very universal. I think especially in Asia because, you know, you, you think like, you know, Japan, Yakuza is a big thing and like China, like the triads, you know, all yeah. those different things. And that's also also in the West, like in America, very like cop and gangster movies are very common. Probably a little outdated today, I feel like, yeah. in America, like. You know, thinking back to like fifties and sixties, like noir and stuff, like yeah. that's pretty much what all the movies were. Today, it's more modern and kind of has. It's a very iconic genre, I think. right? Yeah, yeah. But like here, it's like iconic in a dated way, like classical. Mm. But I think it's different in Asia where it feels that's modern now. You know? you know what's funny? I think one of the reasons why it's like that. Is in in my opinion is you know how like the mafia and and all of that the mob and the gangsters were very prevalent during the rise of a certain um, right like uh, not civilization but like as as the country and as the economy was growing right that's when like the mobs and the gangsters were really like mm-hmm. you know the traditional like Italian you know gangsters right, that we yeah. think about the mafia they were really prevalent during the rise of an economy right like. When New York was growing or like, you know, Chicago right. and all these different places that have the starts of like immigrant families who like move over mm-hmm. to the place and they settle down and they start building communities. And, yeah. and as that happens, you know, corruption and all of that stuff kind of happens. And that's when the mafia and the gangs and, and all of that were the biggest. Yeah. And now I think the reason why it's not as like prevalent, like those kinds of uh, gangsters or like. Those kinds of like highly organized crime is because at least in America, I feel like it's a little more uh, developed to a a point where right. they move past that a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. that's my like thinking. But like in maybe Asia, like China or Korea or even Japan, I think I think they're slowly starting to move away from that too. Right. But I think that they're still in the kind of era of like developing and, right, and all yeah, yeah. that where the mafia or you know gangsters are very prevalent uh-huh. it's kind of like a weird theory that i kind of have <laughs> your about conspiracies yeah. conspiracies no i mean you know like with the ages there are films that reflect the time yeah always right you know um and so here in in america i mean that's that also lays true and there are other things and bigger topics to talk about and that are on people's minds right. that are no longer, you know, mafia or gangsters. Like, it's just not prevalent as it used to be. Exactly. But there are other things at hand. That very, there are other stuff that they care about now. Right, right, right. <laughs> Whereas back then, that was kind of a big thing where it was a, big par- a bigger part of people's lives, maybe. Right. And so that's how I could definitely see and kind of speak for us. I mean, I can't, you know, obviously I don't live in Japan or Korea, so I can't really say for them. But there is definitely, like, a shift as well, too. 
Yeah, I mean, because they're 100%. a lot more developed now too. If you think about it, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. So it's not as prevalent there either. But I think the remnants a, of of yeah. that kind of it's almost a kind of nostalgia, right? It's mm. almost like reminiscing back to the past of when they were going through this these developments and the gangsters. Yeah, like <laughs> trying to build communities and trying to build economies and mm-hmm. having these, I guess, uh, disenfranchised people coming together to create organized family, quote-unquote. Yeah, it definitely remains a point of interest for them, interesting enough. Yeah. And too, like, it's it's funny to think that, you know, like you said, for here, like, a lot of sort of the gangsters and things happens with, you know, uh, immigrant families and immigrant communities coming to America mm-hmm. and, you know, like, with the Italians and such like that. And, like, you know, even, like, talk about New York City, Hong, like, Chinatown, like, triads. Like, these are all other communities coming in sort of, starting their own thing but talking about like asian colonial movies it's like internal Mm. like it isn't the same it's it's like japanese people in like that corrupt part of that society you know what i mean so it's interesting to see like it's an internal problem rather than like you can't say that it's somebody else or some other community or whatever it is Mm -hmm. you know so that's kind of what we're exploring kind of get into that classic movie see how Things are kind of similar or different, and we decided to go with chronological order of how we picked, and um, you wouldn't have guessed that I am first, <laughs> <laughs> ironically enough. Yes. So my first pick was to talk about the pretty iconic uh, Takashi Kitano, or Beat Takashi, um, in his film Solatin. Sonatin. Sonatin. Yeah. I always like forget that name. It's such a weird name. So on a team, this was in released in 1993. This is Beat's fourth film. Um, and so a little bit about him. He's pretty iconic in Japan. So he's known as a prolific filmmaker and actor in the West. But in Japan, he's actually known as a very popular comedian. He's where he got his start. Hence his name, Beat Takeshi, which is like his comedic stage name. Mm-hmm. So I think like in the 70s, um, he was a comedian and he was like rising into, you know, fame. Um, and basically he had like another partner and they did like a comedy duo and the duo was called uh, The Two Beats, which is where he gets his name from. And then after a while, uh, he decided to go solo and then really shot up for a name of himself. And he's like one of the top three, like greatest comedians known over there. Oh, wow. And then basically how he got into film. So he did some acting stuff here and there. And then he did um, Violent Cop, which came out in 1989. And originally it was supposed to be developed and directed by uh, Kinji Fuku something, uh, Fukasaku. And he did uh, Battle Royale 1 and 2. Okay. Um, But basically, so Takeshi was supposed to uh, lead that role from the beginning but because of like some tv obligations uh he had like very complications with the schedule so kinji actually dropped out of directing that and it was suggested that Takeshi would uh take the helm instead and work around his own schedule and do the film and it turns out i read that he rewrote that script like entirely (laughs) because it was originally supposed to be a comedy but he made it into like a hard drama oh and, like, to the point where the original screenwriter, 
asked to be discredited after the film. Nah. And so he ended up doing that and he ended up releasing it. Um, and I think I had like pretty good reviews, but not great like financial success as the trend usually goes. And then after that, he did another movie called Boiling Point, which is another gangster film set in Okinawa. That was like the first one. Um, and then he did a third film, which was like, it wasn't a gangster film, but it was kind of like, I don't know if it was a comedy specifically, more like a dramedy maybe. And then, then this one, his fourth film, which was another gangster Yakuza film set in Okinawa. And it was like, I think this film that really started to, I think internationally anyway, it was like putting his name on the map. But in Japan, like it took him almost 10 movies for him to be like taken serious mm-hmm. as like a serious actor, like director rather than a comedian. I think the movie that really changed the opinion of him was uh, Hanabi which means uh, fireworks, and that one came out in 1997. Um, So he's been around for a while, and he's done a lot of stuff then. I think probably most people will know him from uh, Ghost in the Shell, the (laughs) live-action remake. Did you see that? No. You never saw it? No. But basically, he plays um, the chief, the the old chief there. Mm. So he has a couple... Of like little scenes there to do that. Um, interesting that he took that role too. But so that's probably where people around here you you know him as. But he's pretty prolific in the West, and um, you know it's funny because like I picked this. So my dad is a big fan of him. He's like, oh, you should do a do a film beat Takeshi. And I was like, huh, you know that makes sense for a gangster because he's very like you think of yakuza films like the gangster face. Yeah, like beat Takeshi would very much come to mind in that. Yeah. So I thought it'd be, and somebody that like I have not seen any of his films or have known, I just kind of like known about him. So this is a good way for even for me to like kind of go into there. And so I'd even be interested to do a series on him alone uh, sometime down the road. But yeah, so what was this film exactly? That's a hard one to explain. <laughs> so essentially, it's beat plays a character named Murakawa. And he is a Yakuza leader of sorts, and he's pretty successful at his job. And he's kind of like older, and he's thinking about retiring. He's kind of like at the end of his rope sort of thing. Yeah. Um, And you'll find that like he bumps heads and clashes with his own superiority as well. So he's kind of like does his own thing sort of person. But he gets tasked with a, a mission basically to settle a dispute between like his gang's allies um and those two parties are the nakamatsu clan and the anan clan and they're both in okinawa japan which is where my family's from so this is a cool thing to do (laughs) um and so basically murakawa's boss is named kitajima and he wants him to basically end the feud in like peace so that he wants them to come together that's that's the goal anyway so kitajima is like lieutenant or like secondhand man sort of person is named takahashi and he's sort of a, a jerk i guess and murakawa doesn't like him and he shares distrust with him along with uh murakawa's lieutenant whose name is uh, ken they even beat up takahashi yeah. over the mission as well for sending him he's like why are you gonna send me like whatever dude so essentially, um, Takahito 
uh, handpicks a few guys uh, to go with them to Okinawa. And they basically go. And when they go there, they meet with the uh, Nakamatsu clan. And they meet uh, one of the leaders, Uechi, who's like the older guy. And then also like, one of the youngest guys there, Ryoji, sort of like the young kid am- among the group. And so while they're there, uh, they set up shop in an abandoned building. And as soon as they get there, they're basically met with hostility from the Anan clan. And what they do in the beginning is they meet with the Nakamatsu leader, who's this old guy. And what they find out is that the whole conflict between them is not as big of a deal as uh, Kitajima explained it to be. Yeah. Uh, he says, like, they don't even need reinforcements or even an intervention. It's like a normal occurrence. Right. It's just happens. like, we're bumping heads. Yeah. Like, this is sort of an everyday kind of like, you know, nudge on the shoulder sort of thing. Um, but so he kind of find, finds out that, and I guess he's kind of a little lost as what he wants to do. And so one of the first moves that they do to like confront or meet with an online clan is to throw a grenade and like bomb their HQ. Yeah. <laughs> but then that fails essentially. And in return, the online clan bombs their temporary HQ and ends up killing like two of their men. Yep. And once that happens, um, Pieces out the window, basically, and things start to get like quote unquote serious. Uh, so the next scene is in this hostess bar where uh, Murakawa and his men get drinks, and they find a couple of the Anan thugs sitting like across the room, and spontaneously there's a Mexican standoff, yeah. sort of shootout, and they kill all of the guys from the Anan clan, but there's a couple casualties from Murakawa's side as well. And after this scene happens, uh, Ryoji brings Murakawa and a few of the guys to like a secluded part of the island in a family house. And this is basically where they lay low in seclusion. And this is also where the book and the majority of the film takes place. And they just hang out. That's, uh, that's what happens. There's a couple of things, but they just hang out. They recruit another person who's like, this girl almost gets raped, but then she's saved by Murakawa. And then she ends up getting attached to him and just sort of hangs out in the house yeah. with him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they pretty much hang out up until the final like act of the movie near the end. And when that happens, so Ken meets with Nakamatsu's leader, the old guy. And in their meeting, they revealed that uh, the clan is about to be disbanded because he's going to retire. And that the Anan clan is going to join up with the parent gang, which is Kitajima, basically. Um, or, so he tells him, you can leave the the Natsumatsu clan to be disbanded and let the events occur. Or you can basically um, rebel against the Anan clan in that sense. And so with that, there's an assassin that comes in and kills uh, the Nakamatsu leader and all of the men that he's with. And then he goes to the hideout where Matsuda is, or Murakawa is, and kills Ken, basically, in front of uh, Murakawa. And Murakawa makes up his mind to seek revenge, basically. And so he goes. So first he um, tries to find Nakajima, but he finds Takahiro in, like, his hotel. And then there's another shootout in an elevator, and he takes Takahiro hostage, and he interrogates him. And then this is where he reveals, like, the 
opus of the plan, which was basically uh, Nakajima has always wanted the Anon clan to side with them. They just needed to push um, the other clan out of the way. And they sent uh, Murakawa over to also like, as like bait sort of, but they also wanted to eliminate him because they wanted his territory or like they call it like his turf. Because Murakawa is like a successful Yakuza himself and he has like a good business on his own. So they want to get rid of him and basically take over everything, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Murakawa is not having it. So he murders Takahito and then he goes to like this meeting place where uh, Kitajima and the Anon clan are supposed to like meet and then sort of finalize the plans or whatever. And then he goes on a killing spree and murders all those guys too. Yeah. And then the movie ends with Murakawa killing himself yes and that's that so what is uh what was your impressions after watching all that <laughs> so it's a bit of a handful i'll be honest when i was watching it i had a hard time discerning who was who yeah <laughs> just because yeah. like people come and go so fast <laughs> and i haven't had a real good chance to like soak in who they are and there's no there's no introduction to outside of uh, Urechi, right? U- Uechi and Ryoji because mm. they go to Okinawa to meet them for the yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah, But that's it. Like, yeah. you just have to like catch the names of oh the the protagonist are firing. His name is Murakawa. That's the only like, guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, his subordinate's name is Ken. Like, mm. you have to really yeah. catch and pay attention. Mm. So that part was a little bit confusing. And then when the assassins started to like kill people, I was like, wait, who was he again? <laughs> and I wasn't sure if he was like there before or not yeah. and, and stuff like that. So I was a little bit confused in that sense. I was confused who he killed. I was like, did he kill Ken yeah. or the other guy? Because they kind of looked the same. Yeah. But apparently he killed like the clan people and, and like the old guy yeah. who was supposed to retire or whatever. Yeah. And stuff like that. And then, and then he went to the uh, hideout and he only killed ken yeah so i was confused i was like isn't he supposed to try to kill murakawa too well he I, I mean yeah it's weird that he didn't like go on a killing spree he just settled for ken yeah because even ryoji was there and he just ran away yeah, he, just, he yeah. let him run away yeah but he didn't because murakawa and then the girl just sitting down were there i mean they were hiding so he didn't know that they were there Really? Was that hiding? Yeah, they were, they were below the. <laughs> yeah, the but ship. like literally, the dude was like talking to Murakawa like a few yeah, minutes I, before. I, I give it a pass that you wouldn't know that they were there. Was it really that hard to check and look down? But that's what I don't give a pass is like, were you just there to kill one dude? That's what I'm saying. Or like wow. you knew, like if you're an assassin on a like you know you that, prepare like, right? right? You make sure you know where they yeah. are. You're gonna be like, I just kill one guy and like I guess that's it. Yeah, so that's why I was a little bit confused there. I was like, if you're an assassin and you're there to kill those guys, why don't you try to kill the main dude, Murakawa? But whatever. Anyways, that aside, I think... <laughs> Let it be. Let it be. That aside, I think the story... It's interesting because it's not really a story about like revenge and right. murder as much as you think. Right. And there's a bit... Like like you said, the big chunk of the movie is when they're in the hideout and they're like bored out of their minds and they're trying to do stuff, right? Yeah. And figure out what to do while they're mm. um, laying low. And I think that is kind of the focal point of the movie. And I think there's a reason why that was the focal point of the movie. Right. 
and they were trying to maybe go into the mind of somebody who is trying to retire but trying to figure out what to do with his life and finding sure certain kind of purpose in his life maybe so in that sense i think it did a pretty good job of doing that and putting that as the focal point but then I think it did a bad job of like wrapping everything together at the end. <laughs> it was very abrupt and very like like, like why? Yeah, like, you're you're not really sure. Exa- yeah. Yeah. There there's not really like a point A to point B that's like clear. Sure. So it's a little bit hard for me to connect those dots mm. easily. But like I, I understood the general gist of what was going on. Yeah. But it wasn't really like, oh, so that's <laughs> what's happening now, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh overall I think um i did kind of try to I, I did kind of understand what the movie was trying to do and i think it was an interesting uh take on that so right yeah i share the same feelings i kind of you know understand like oh it's set in this but it's really like about murakawa in this sense yeah. you know yeah, or like yeah. about these people and like the moments versus the plot sort of thing mm-hmm. and i think it was like fine like it's a pretty like beautiful film in, in certain aspects um and like you know fun to watch and like there's a sense of like there's a sense of humor and you know camaraderie at the end i was like is this movie about camaraderie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know so i mean it does a good job in that sense and also taking gangsters and yakuza and, and the expectation that you would have on them and portraying them differently m- yeah you know more humanistically or having genuine relationships you know what i mean like yeah. in that sort of sense but also just like we are watching a story and like there needs to be you know point a to point b and i think like i said i got the gist of what was going on and like the drama between the clients yeah. and stuff and oh so it was all like a ruse and a setup on murukawa it's like x him out whatever but i didn't like the very ending it would have worked better even if it was a happy every after, like if he made just it left, to yeah. Miyuki and they just retired together on the beach. Like but him killing himself yeah. was like, okay, but why? Yeah. You know? I, I there's bits and p- scenes and places that they Hint try at, yeah, yeah. They try to like reinforce it and give it cause. But by the end it's it's not enough to really justify it, you know? Yeah, I I mean, there's definitely room for interpretation, right? Sure. At the end, yeah. and I think there. I mean, like, there just needed to be more to be like, okay, that guy was depressed enough to end it. Right. You know what I mean, or at least show more of, like I said, he's at the end of his rope in his job as a yakuza, and you know he wants to retire, but maybe lost in like, what do I do now? Yeah, sense? there's a lot of ambiguity there in that sense. Yeah, and especially when he. You know, the relationships that he has with other people and the way that he interacts with other people kind of give you hints as to maybe, like, as to his, you know, thought process and where he's coming from. Like, for example, that scene when the two guys, Ken and the younger dude, they're like, they have the gun and they start, like, playing and they're, like, shooting the... uh, the can mm-hmm. on the head and then Murakawa comes and he's like, yo, let's play a game. <laughs> and basically plays Russian roulette with them. Yeah. And he, you know, keeps on shooting and then at the end, uh, when he loses, he like points the gun at, on his head. Right. And he like shoots it and then the people are like freaked out. And whoa, then, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and down. then, you know, they realize that there's no bullet in there. But I think 
that is also kind of a moment where it's hinting at yeah. his kind of mindset yeah of like he doesn't really he's not phased by death yeah. or like you know there's Ending nothing there that is kind of holding him back from just shooting himself right right um even if you know it was like a joke quote unquote sure. at that moment with them but maybe in his heart of hearts because there's also that scene that comes right after during his sleep yeah. where he is yeah. rec- recollecting that moment mm-hmm. and he actually dies in that moment right where yeah. he's you know he actually shoots himself so there's that at that moment too where it's kind of hinting at the possibility that i don't know if it's depression per se but right. there is something in him that kind of makes him wants to kill himself or die or yeah yeah you know maybe he feels like his purpose in life is he doesn't have purpose in life and mm-hmm. kind of everything that's going on around him is uh dreary and moot so <laughs> there is something like that there that i think definitely yeah. reinforces it but i don't know how well it did in yeah. terms of there's reinforcing no, like, that yeah, yeah for the end yeah there's no reasoning or explanation or like we don't even know what his feelings are like yeah. we just speculate what it is we just get like we just get those flashbacks of of him killing himself so those are things that he thinks about Mm -hmm. but we don't we never pinpoint is that because of depression is it because of loneliness you know what i mean or is it because of like stuff happening within the clan or you know right yeah we never get a reasoning behind it we just know that it's there yeah so when he actually does do it super abruptly we still don't have an answer as to you know what pushed him over the edge really you know because even in the scenes like in that scene where he thinks about it you know he never actually does it you know so it's what was stopping him then versus what pushed him to do it mm. now at the end? You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, oh, I'm finally out. So now I can just... Maybe he feels like he's, you know, accomplished everything he needed to do <laughs> right. like in terms of revenge or whatever. I'm free from the clan. Yeah. So <laughs> Literally free. Literally <laughs> Let me free. pop my head. Because yeah. he does... I mean, he, he makes that decision after he, like, cuts all ties with, with everybody. everyone. Yeah, basically. You know, he's killed his boss. He doesn't have to go back to work. You know what I mean? So and then the only guy that's left basically at the end is the young guy. Right? Ryoji, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's just, whatever, like written off. So yeah. interesting to see that, you know, there's two decisions. Like he can go live free or he ends it all there. And it's, you know, why does he end it all there versus mm-hmm. obviously choosing a life of happiness, I guess. So. Yeah. This is like one of the rare thing moments, I think, in the movie where there's not enough exposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, right. I, and and I don't know if if like from what I'm what I've watched, I'm not sure if more exposition would have necessarily been better for the movie sure. or not. But I think if there was more exposition, it might have helped create a more concrete ending. Sure, but maybe that's not what the you know director wanted. So yeah, which which I think is. Like, the movie in itself is interesting because of that ambiguity, I think. Mm-hmm. But maybe there was an alternative is what I'm just trying to say. Yeah. I think it's interesting that I probably wouldn't even, you know, label this as a character film just because of the lack of exposition and mm-hmm. the fact, you know, we can't pinpoint those exact feelings from him because we're also secluded from him in that way of yeah. Murakawa. We don't under... We don't really truly understand Murakawa and we get like insights of his thoughts and you know things and inferred things but we're never really there as him 
and it doesn't open up to us either. Yeah. So it's you can't really call it a character film or character study in that way because we're always outside, you know. So it's well, what exactly this movie? Because even a lot of it, I feel like watching it. I'm an outsider just watching these people do their thing. You know, yeah. I'm watching them have fun or have these little moments together. But a level of distance is always between, there. Is yeah, you know? for sure. And I think it's interesting because. You know, watching Ava and watching how they kind of did this like lack of information stuff mm. and watching this, I'm a lot more forgiving about the lack of information in this movie right. than that movie <laughs> uh, purely because of how it's portrayed and how, how and what what information is lacking, let's say. Sure. Like it, it's more about the character and what the character is not telling us, right? Yeah. And we have a lack of information on that part. And it's less about, like, the lack of inf- information about, like, total plot points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, plot devices within the movie. So, yeah. I think that's why I feel like in this movie, the things that I want to infer from this movie is not about the plot, per se. But right. it's more about what that person is or, like, what that person is thinking. Yeah. And how that person is reacting and interacting with people. Yeah. Um, I think an interesting, you know, interaction that he has is with the girl, right? Mm-hmm. How he, like, first sees a girl. He clearly sees her getting raped, but he doesn't do anything to, you know, stop right. that. But then once he, like, is trying to go back home or whatever, and the guy <laughs> starts, like, you know, getting up all, all up in his business, that's when he, like, just kills the dude. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then after that, he just stares at the girl, and they kind of have this moment, and then he just brings her to yeah. the hideout. So... There's a interesting dynamic there with with the girl and him and like what he wants from the girl and what kind of interaction yeah. and exchange that they're having there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, from that, you know, you start to infer about what he might be thinking, like what kind of person he might be. Yeah. And I think that really is a cool way to kind of add another element mm-hmm. to the movie and to his character and to the different interactions that he has with other people, right? Other, you know, his gang members or whatever. And um, adding that and kind of showing what he could be right. and, you know, showing what he is and having that dynamic and difference and dissonance maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, to your first part, the biggest difference between this and Ava, sort of the lack of information. I mean, in this movie, we always know where we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, that's the biggest difference. Yes, right? we're grounded. We, yeah, we're grounded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we we know even though like we said it's it is a little complicated like to know the details of the plot. Right. At least we have a sense of where we are. Like yeah. okay, there's they're gangsters, right? And then there's he, two gangs. Then there's two gangs and we know his mission. Like yeah. we know what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right. And we we're following along and we we're keeping up with that sense. Right. And then Ava, it's it's harder to know that. Like yeah. we don't know. Like, oh, they're doing this and then they're are they stopping angels or something bigger? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, it's something bigger, but what exactly is right, that? Right. And then Gendo turns into a godlike being and then <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's the problem with that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so like it's uncomprehensible. But yeah. this movie is comprehensible in that sense. In that yeah. sense, so and like I said, what we have lack of information, and what we want is more character focused, which is more forgiving because it's fine. Because at yeah, least we know where we are. Because yeah, 
as human beings, we don't know everything about other people, right? right? Yeah. And that's something natural for us to experience. Yeah. That feels like, you know, as a storyteller and as a director, like, you don't own me, per se, to show me what the characters are really thinking. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, yeah, you don't know the audience to tell you all that. Yeah, yeah. but you do owe me what the hell is happening in the right, 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 you know right, I mean? right. So that, that's the biggest difference. And I think, I think that what you said is a pretty good point between Miyuki and uh, Murakawa and their relationship is pretty unique because... Like Murakawa is, I mean, a pretty lonely person, you could say. Yeah. I think that's like a lot of the root of it. But he purposely keeps himself distance from just about everybody. You know, I think he sees his men like as his subordinates pretty specifically. And he mains that boss to subordinate relationship with them. And he gets friendly and stuff with him, but he never, he hardly even talks to them. Like there's very little dialogue set throughout the film. But even in the interactions, he's not very buddy-buddy with them all the time. You know it's I mean? weird because, like, there are moments where it kind of feels like he is. And then, like, it's, like, kind of weird. Yeah. It's not really. But it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> like that, you know, like that gum moment, too. Like, uh-huh. on the beach where he just, like, goes to them and starts <laughs> playing with them. But they all, obviously, they clearly feel awkward and yeah. uncomfortable. They don't even know, like, what What's is this guy's on, thinking right? at yeah. this moment. You know what I mean? And so... And even he says, too, um, Ken is like, yeah, like, I probably wouldn't push it to Ryoji. You know, like, he even kind of infers maintain a little distance yeah. between them. But when you meet, you know, Miyuki, like you said, initially, he's watching everything that happened that, that she's about to get raped. And he does nothing about it up until he starts to walk away. Like, okay, I'm just not going to see anything sort uh-huh. of thing. And then a the guy gets up in his face. So it isn't until he's dragged into it that he does something about it because yeah. it then involves him. And then the relationship between him and Miyuki, I mean, is distant then, right? I mean, he brings her back, whatever. But they are apart from each other. And slowly but surely, we see them get closer and closer. I mean, more to her efforts, for sure. But, you know, even him, you know, kind of... But he opens up more to her. Yeah, yeah. Clearly. He he talks more to her and then... They go fishing together. They go fishing. (laughs) He drives her back home after, like, you know, things kind of start to change. And I think that their relationship is, like, it's it's Murakawa finally being able to open up to, like, anybody, really, mm. like, and that she's that person. So him finally breaking the shell of being a lonely person or just having the opportunity to open up. And then by the end, because really, like, we get shots of her and she's waiting for him to come back after everything. Yeah. And then he's clearly on his way to go back to her. So it's sort of that choice of, like to finally kind of move into that and like really be able to open up and, you know, explore more in life or to be a person per se, rather than being in my own shell and just or like staying in the way that he was. Right, like right. The traditions of being a gangster. Uh-huh. And kind of, he kind of died that way, right? Exactly. He, just yeah. left. he decided not to go pursue that new path and mm-hmm. die in his old ways. Unfortunate, but you know, do what you want, do, do you. <laughs> Yeah, in that so. sense, like the level of interpretation that you can have for this movie is the um, interesting point, I think, for this movie right. as I was watching it. Yeah. Whereas other films might be more like just watching it for the sake of the movie and understanding everything mm-hmm. and finding satisfaction there. Whereas this movie, it's more like there's a level of introspection that is required within as, as you are viewing the movie. And kind of taking the 
pieces and putting it together in your head and <laughs> kind of trying to make sense of exactly what's going on. Yeah. I don't know if as a native Japanese speaker, it would uh, be as like mm. almost cryptic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it might be, it might not be. I don't know, obviously, but from me, I mean, I'm no native speaker. I speak very little, but just for the fact that there is such little dialogue being spoken, I don't think that our experiences would differ too much. Mm. I also think that the way, from what I could pick up, they spoke very flat, you know, right. very like um, just forward and not not maybe cryptic in the sense that like, huh, like what does that mean? Yeah. But things just sort of plain. Right. It, it, like so. not de- like devoid devoid of emotions almost. Right. In the way that they spoke. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, especially for Murakawa, mm. you know. Yeah. They, he's a very flat <laughs> flat. It's person. funny because some of them some of the moments like he's laughing mm-hmm. but it feels emotional. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like in a sarcastic way. I mean, I think a a key example is so he gets put on the mission to go to Okinawa and he doesn't like it and he thinks something's up. And he doesn't like Takahito. Yeah. And so later on, like in that meeting, they're having a meeting about it. And then he sees him and he follows him to the bathroom and beats the shit out yeah. of him. And then a cup the next scene later, there he recruits some men and they're like meeting all the new guys that they're gonna fly with. <laughs> and he, he looks at Takahito and he's like he's like, Oh, you must be happy that he's sending me off. He goes, Yeah, I get some patience to use the bathroom. And he yeah. just like laughs at him, you know, but it's like <laughs> devoid of like sincerity. humanity, yeah. <laughs> 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 like it's like Takahiro is like clearly like you're an asshole, you know. Like I'm gonna get you back one day, yeah. And uh, Murakawa is just void of like consequence. Mm. Essentially, he's like, yeah, whatever. He like, has no uh, care in the world, exactly. As he's laughing, you know? yeah. And that's his attitude with like everything. It seems like you know, even when Ken is his right hand man the entire time, like it's probably like his most trusted. Uh, friend or like subordinate within yeah. him and so when he gets murdered in front of him like he throws frisbees all day like you yeah. know like his way of uh you know f- dealing with that is just like we watch him throw frisbee for like mm-hmm. five minutes straight and then we see everybody else and then he, they have to explain to us they're like yeah he's made up his mind to go all out basically and now that there's no coming back he's just gonna mm-hmm. kill everybody yeah so he has a very non, um, non-normal way of you know conveying feelings or dealing with like consequence or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of the movie um, goes into a direction that you normally, I guess, you is unexpected, right? Mm. Especially when they're in the hideout and the things that they do to pass the time is very interesting. <laughs> Um, like there's that moment when inside the house they start cutting out like these uh paper sumos. uh yeah sumos and they start um playing around with it and then later on they go out to the beach and they basically do the same thing except you know real life in real life kind of thing but it's funny because they are, they're reenacting what they're doing inside where like they're tapping the thing to make yeah, it move like, so they're tapping the ground of the the beach <laughs> and they're to like make the hopping people, around. Yeah, they're hopping around. <laughs> and and it's so weird and it's so like unexpected. Unexpected and makes yeah. no sense. But in one sense it's like you can kind of get it. Like the yeah. level of boredom, the level of like 
um, mm. banality that they're living through and, yeah. and the things that they are doing to kind of pass that time yeah. is, is kind of relatable and yet distant. Yeah, and that, yeah. that like dissonance is what makes the movie so interesting for me. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting to see, you know, the things that they do. Yeah. And it, it, like I said, it adds a level of humanity to, to them yeah. all the time. Even like the little scene between Ryoji and Ken when he like, has like the doll. And he's yeah. like, fuck me. He's like, get out of here, bro. And he's like, fight him. It's just like these like, little... kisses him and he starts laughing like, nah. now. <laughs> Break down his barrier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all just like stripping away one sense and just mm. showing and I, I like the uh the fireworks moment too <laughs> yeah shooting like fireworks at each other and then murakawa just decides to whip <laughs> out his gun and just like shooting at them <laughs> but that just adds to like what we were talking about earlier that he has no care in the world yeah yeah like, he has no there's no sense of, of like yeah like there's <laughs> no sense of like normal like what you're doing right now is normal and what you're doing you know it, that that line gets crossed so quickly for yeah, him yeah I mean, he's just having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just shoot my gun. Uh, They're like, no, that's cheating. Murder! Murder! <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mudokawa. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's it's fun to, like, watch all that. Very interesting to see. And, like, choosing to stay in that moment for so long, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what is what are you really tugging at here? What are you kind of getting right. at in that sense? Versus... Like, oh, we know that there's, like, this huge feudal gang like, right. thing going on here. Because, you know, like, if they went the real traditional route of, yeah. for this movie, it would have been, like, you know, figure, laying out all the kind of setups for what's about to happen and right. then making Murakawa fall into the trap and having him, you right. know, the typical revenge story where right. he finds out what happened and, you know, prepares his plan to get revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have gone that route, but very interestingly in this movie, what they do is uh, they get there, they're kind of stranded, they go into <laughs> hiding. They stay in the hiding place and they show us what they do, like the most boring stuff that they do, um, you know. <laughs> and, like... and that's what, you know, the majority of the story is about. And... Because they show us that, it completely changes the paradigm of what the movie is about, right? Yeah, 100%. When yeah. the movie could have been about revenge and getting revenge or like mm. a story about mafia, it's not about that per se. Right. It's it's set in that world and it's set in that, you know, um, mindset. But really, it's about kind of the person and kind of his Murakawa's um, interest, you know, his yeah. own self and his inner mindset. So that's interesting for me. Yakuza are people too. Yeah, I think it does a, a good job too of, you know, pulling the rug under you in that sense. Like it's a really changing the paradigm of what this movie is about. Because it, it's pretty lengthy even for the first part of the film that you're watching, you know, the the, the mob film per se, right? You're watching him and you know who... Um, Minokawa is as a as a yakuza and like his status among the other yakuza and the gang and such. And you understand like okay, this is the relationship between him and um, the head boss and uh, Takahiro, and even like you know Ken plays the very subordinate. Like there's very very mob stereotypes and very mob tropes and roles that go on. Um, and you understand like oh you know we have this we have this problem you got to go take care of it and that's your job. 
and even like you know between their clothes between how they act with each other and there's even like that scene with they're like interrogating the brother i guess they like kill him and dunk him into the crane yeah which is a wild scene like it's Mm -hmm. the 90s that was definitely done practical (laughs) i was watching that like who signed up and was like hang me on a crane (laughs) and dunk me in water um and so like it all that segment is pretty lengthy so you know you kind of figure and even for me like this is the movie that i'm watching and even when you go to okinawa for for like a solid i don't know 10 20 minutes you're watching like the events unfold and them like knowing the situation at hand and it isn't until after the the shootout that they go to the island and that's when things like really start to change and you're like how do we get here and like what's happening here and like you're i'm really like reworking myself to be like like, are we really going to stay in this moment this long? Like, what are we kind of referring at versus, yeah. you know what I mean? And a it, lot of gangster movies, they like to go very high tension, right? Yeah. Even yeah. even the music that they use is very, like, mm-hmm. you know, fast paced or high tension music. Or especially when there's the fighting scenes or, like, the gun shootouts and stuff. They tend to be very... You know, they, they emphasize that with the music and all that. But in this movie, I think it's very subtle, like kind of toned down yeah. in one sense. I found it eerie. Yeah, where it's it's not as... Even the way that they edited it and even the shots that they chose mm-hmm. during the shootouts, right? Like, it's never a very dynamic shot. Like, yeah. like what I'm saying is like, the camera's just there and the guys are getting shot in front of you and they're just still... They're just like three guys just standing still and you just see them with like gun <laughs> they're literally like standing up straight face shooting at each other and whoever gets shot drops yeah right and and i think the way that they shot that in that way um is is you know a lot very different because a lot of times in gangster movies there's a lot of dynamic shots like people are dodging and trying to like you know yeah yeah like normally in a gunshot gun you know fight you know when they're shooting that they tend to do that but here it's very just <laughs> it's it's almost like it's faded yeah, yeah. like those people are faded to die and so it's it doesn't matter if they move or not they're just standing there getting shot and whoever's gonna die will die and funny enough even the way that the shooters shoot like murakawa for example yeah. never moves like when he even if he's getting shot he doesn't move like in the bar scene yeah. does not move once he just shoots his gun right and even in the last scene, <laughs> he's shooting like fifty in dudes. And in, in the uh, elevator scene, in the elevator scene too. Yeah. It's the same way, you know. Like the only thing he does is that he uses his people as uh, human shields. But, <laughs> but yeah, like the way that they shoot the gunfights is literally, it's almost like it's faded. Like yeah. people who will live will live, and people who will die will die, kind of. Right. And I think that way of shooting it also emphasizes almost the theme of the movie as well. Right. So I think yeah. that was very interesting to see. It is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Kind of. it, it's so it's it's his mindset, right? It's like <laughs> I don't care what happens. It will. It, what happens happens. Yeah. Is kind of his mindset, and the way that the gunfight happens is kind of like that too. Yeah, it's like what happens happens, right? Yeah, and like even in then, it's a lot of that is void in suspense too. Yeah, like it's funny to see that they're kind of drawn out. Like, going back to the bar scene, it's a little drawn out. Like, we see them walk in, and then it's the group of them. Are we going to order 
we were going to order beer. Okay. And then like call the hostesses. And then we, um, Murakawa is like eyeballing the other guys. So you're afraid like, oh, that's probably the Anai gang or whatever. And they're like having a good time. And then like, there's the weird third party of students that walk in that are just yeah. trying to get some drinks in or whatever. And then out of nowhere, yeah. like shootout happens, yeah. like in a clip. And the whole thing like runs down at the end of the scene. But going into it, like there's no suspense. It's just, we're going to like it. You don't even know what's happening. Yeah. And just at the drop of a dime, it's, a shootout in some sense, yeah. you know, and then you're just left with the aftermath of like blood everywhere and yeah. people dead, right? And then you're just like, oh, we, we lost three guys. I, I really like the way that they did that. Mm. Like it's it's almost real. Like you know, you like the way that movies build things up is mm. not really what happens in real life, right? Sure. Like let's imagine, like imagine you were in that situation. There's no build up. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> Unless you're unless you're the gang member, sure. like imagine you're the students. Like there was no build up for them, right? It right. just happened, right? Yeah. And it's you're like, literally, <laughs> you're literally feeling that the same way as the audience. Where like, as the audience, you expect the build up, but then it happens so abruptly that you're actually more like the students or whoever they were. You're just confused. Yeah, right. just confused, <laughs> and 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 there's uh, an element of suspense within that shot because of the fact that. Murakawa um, is just standing there, and you're you're wondering like, is he gonna get shot or not? Because he's just standing there. But then yeah. you know, everyone else but him dies basically. So now Superman. So that's yeah that like the way that they edited this film, I think, really adds to you know the way the themes and the um, the style that it's going for. Sure. You know? Yeah. It yeah. is very like. I don't know, one note in in a sense. It's very like almost straightforward. Yeah. Like the way that it's edited. <laughs> There's no like fluff yeah, to what sure. they're trying to do. There's and no like Hollywood as like like I said, there's no tension, there's no like suspense. It, it kind of feels that, flat. Yeah. But it's not in a bad way. <laughs> sure, sure. Like it, it adds to the movie. Whereas like sometimes it could take away from the movie. It is consistent. I mean, I think that's a big thing that like if you choose to do that, then go through with it, mm. and that, this movie does that for sure. Like, yeah, well, especially because of what its theme and the things and the characters' identity and yeah. the way that you know it's trying to portray that, like the editing adds to that, right? Right. If it was something else, then maybe it might not have worked, right? It <laughs> would have been bad. Yeah. But because yeah, if Murakawa was like an over the top dude, sort of like yeah, you like, know what I mean, like a that everyday like just the common sort of i don't know gang or like detective cop kind of person it wouldn't have worked with the tone that right the, right that you're watching it with you know but he definitely he definitely reinforces yeah everything else and really there are some beautiful shots in this movie too mm. um for example like there's a scene where the car they're taking one of the bodies dead bodies oh, yeah. but like it's just everything's black and you just see like these two headlights like coming towards you mm. towards the camera and then later on, it's like, um, it's like uh, dawn when the sun's coming up, and you see the car in the middle, and it's like a silhouette of the car, and the yeah. sky looks just so beautiful, like it looks so great. Um, yeah, like shots like that were just like really um, capt- captivating to watch. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good elements. I love Uechi a lot. 
That's my favorite mm. character. The old guy who's like in love with the traditional Ryukyu dance. <laughs> That's so weird. Uh, and the fact that they went with that bit for so long in the movie, I was like, it's not like, a, I want to see you dance. I want to see you dance. He's like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I'll dance with you. Uh, from him like being drunk to doing it. And he's like, yeah. Yoji has to bring him back to the table. Like, relax. Uh, Apparently, he's a Madadayo. Oh, really? He has a role in there. I don't know who, but I was like... He actually has, like, a lot of credits. He's been around in a lot of, mm-hmm. in a lot of films. But, yeah, I think... um, Even all the characters, too, just are pretty interesting. In a sense, they all are individual, individualistic in a, in a good way. You know, I think, too, like, in a gangster film... Like I said earlier, when you're kind of going through, like, this is a mob film, you get lost in the tropes of even the side characters are kind of all the same characters, you know? Like, you have the leader who's, like, dynamic, and you have the subordinates who just kind of stay there, you know, the do-it boys. And in this movie, it's kind of introduced in that sense. Like, all these are just the common thugs that are working with you. But the ones that are left, when we get to the beach, we strip away that mentality and that trope of them and we're really like getting to you know what is it that they like in their yeah. own personalities and like you can really start to you Let's know see. associate a name with the person kind yeah. of thing you know so i mean it, it, like especially with ken too who's very like a very f- business kind of guy you know yeah. even like i said in that scene with Yuri OG, we kind of break down his own walls too yeah so what do you think about the music this movie i thought it was good like I said, I thought it was very eerie. It, it, it added... It's probably the only element that added some kind of level of suspense. Yeah. But also unsettling in some ways. Um, but I did notice, like, they, you know, they really picked where to place the music in certain scenes. So it does feel very deliberate. But I didn't think it was bad. I thought the theme was pretty alright. The, the theme actually kind of reminded me of um, Memories of Murder. Um the beginning after the very beginning like part of the and when the titles come up and then yeah. when the first scene real scene like starts there's that like it's a similar like tune it's not exactly the same obviously but sure. it's a similar tune and it kind of reminded me of that um but in, do you know who the uh the music the producer is? uh is it joe he's actually yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 he has like a a long collaboration with them. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. So yeah. I, that was interesting for me too, just yeah. to see. I'm like, oh, hmm, what are you, what are you up to now, Joe? <laughs> what are you doing now, Joe? But uh, yeah, like I, I thought the music was uh, well done. Uh, like you said, it was placed in in the right places. Yeah, it, it's a weird um, tune though. It's like it's it's kind of suspense, but it's not really suspense. It's kind of yeah. like pushing. It almost feels like a pushing forward. Sure. Like a feeling of pushing forward. Like I think in context, <clears throat> if this was a more suspenseful, suspenseful movie, it would have worked in that sense. Mm. But like the movie really isn't. Yeah. But it's it works in a different sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think if you took that track and put it in a different tone of a film, like it would have added to that. Mm. But here it kind of works to what it is already. So yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. What did you want from like the ending of this film? 
Where where did you kind of expect it to go? Post I didn't have any wants. Sure. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. I don't think I I was so on top of the plot to right. know where it was going to go or like to desire a certain kind of ending. But I didn't mind the ending. Um, mm. I think I kind of saw it coming in one sense because of the foreshadowing. I guess with the yeah. the gun, you know, the gun games that happened and the, the dream, games. <laughs> yeah, and the dream that happened and kind of his lack of uh, fear of death. Like even when he talks with the girl, and she's like talking about like, oh, I like tough guys, and you know, people are not afraid of dying or whatever. And he kind of like just looks at her, and you know, whatever. he's kind of nonchalant about it. But I think even that kind of foreshadows his. His uh, state, yeah. his mental state, and the way that it ended, it's it's. I think as a plot, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of dumb. <laughs> but I think in terms of his character, it's kind of okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't a hundred percent discount the ending. I mean, because there are some supporting elements mm-hmm. for it, you know. Um, but yeah, to like for a plot, it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm sure, I guess. Yeah, I but. mean, if, if like as in in a sense of a plot, this movie doesn't really feel like it went anywhere, right? right yeah, <laughs> doesn't feel like it went anywhere, but and it felt, I don't know, maybe almost like like an obligation to a gangster film sort of thing, because mm. like I said, like as we talked about. You know, you go one way and like it's a revenge film kind of thing. So, uh, you kill my friend, I got to murder everybody else. Yeah. And then he kind of takes the steps as like, I found this guy, this guy gives me information. I go to the head boss and then I enact my revenge. And then the final fight is like this grandiose thing. But even the final fight wasn't huge at all. Like, we didn't see anything of what happened in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw like shots of the groups just getting shot at. But for the most part, it's exterior shots outside of the building. So that was, that, that was an interesting choice of being secluded from that segment, you know, which is, you know, arguably important to Murakawa, obviously, right? But, but like, n- knowing that the plot itself has taken a step back in a way. Like, yeah. it, it's no longer about... It's never this, about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, watching that scene play out kind of really invigorates that in that sense yeah i think that's what adds to just just the overall feeling of the ending for me it's like all right it's leading to this thing but we don't even really see it it just kind of happens and it's like left with an empty feeling and then when he kills himself too it just just continues adding like well what was all this for yeah (laughs) why did you do that (laughs) right like it's just why are you leaving her hanging (laughs) (laughs) why are you leaving her hanging like that yo yeah, just just a, like a huge feeling of emptiness mm. in, in that sort of sense. Makes sense. Maybe it's what he wanted. You know, good job, <laughs> good job on you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is it. Um, what's our next one? The next one is a bitter sweet life, right. Korean movie. I think it's two thousand and one, maybe three, one or three. Are you sure? No, I'm not. Sorry. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you positive? When did when did it come out? Hey, they're like all on Amazon. 
No, is it? Yeah. Check that out. Bro, 2005, bro. Okay, close enough. Three, bro. close enough. Three? Bro. Yeah. What was your other one? Oh, Outlaws. Outlaws. And then mine was... Oh, yeah, Mr. Six. So, our next movie is British Sweet Life. She came out in 2005. And this one is from South Korea. Yes. Um, Classic. Is it really? Yes. I don't think I've seen this one, actually. Oh, shame on you. Shame on you! <laughs> Rude. Uh, directed by Kim Ji Woon, and it is available on Netflix. I mean, no, Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Amazon <Shout> Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime Video. Um, is it really iconic? Is it good? Is it like really, really good? Is it like really, really, really good? You know, another thing that's interesting though, you know, we kind of talked about with other genres too, but even within the genre, there's a lot of different things that they do. Sure. Like, even this movie that we watched today, it's like, you would think it's, you know, typical gangster stuff, but right. it's very different in the sense that it's more about the character and the mm-hmm. the banality of hiding out and what happens there and the characters that are there and kind of trying to figure out that aspect of, yeah. the, of people. And so, I think, you know, the next movie that we're watching too, it's, it's a lot more gangster oriented than this one um for sure and it's a lot more plot driven as well but uh when you watch it i'm it'll be a little bit different too because um it's not like just about gangsters so there's another element to it i would definitely say um uh this movie sony team definitely caught me by surprise in a way i was like this is not your traditional average you know right 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 you know i went into it kind of with that expectation but came out with something different which is good i mean hey yeah so enjoyed it we'll see you guys for this one kind of excited bittersweet life uh watch the next week peace bye